Welcome to WISO's Weekly Radio Magazine. I'm Jerry Kenny. Coming up on the program, we speak with Jocelyn Robinson about her efforts to preserve the audio collections of radio stations at historically black colleges and universities. We've also got veterans' voices and news from Ohio Public Radio. Up first, several large events that typically have a huge economic impact for the Miami Valley have been canceled because of fears surrounding the spread of the coronavirus. The International Winter Guard Competition, the NCAA First Four Tournament, and other canceled events mean the loss of millions of dollars to local communities. To talk about the impact of all this, I spoke with Richard Stock, an economist and the director of the Business Research Group at the University of Dayton. The Winter Guard competition, you know, depending on who you talk to, estimates of economic impact are often exaggerated, but it's probably safe to say that they do generate more than $10 million in economic impact. But it's certainly an event that's substantial for the lodging and you know, retail and entertainment elements of the Dayton economy. So the same thing with respect to the first four. You know, in both those cases, uh, yeah, it's going to hurt particular sectors, particularly restaurant and lodging industry in the Dayton area. Uh, focusing on just those particular types of events with respect to the economic impact uh, really doesn't seem to me to capture the true concern with respect to the economic impact from the coronavirus. Those are sort of the uh, canary in the coal mine, I guess, from the point of view of the most obvious things you can point to. But the longer-term impacts really have to do with uh, interruptions in supply chain, you know, because so many of our manufacturers are uh, globally linked, um, and that's where the uh, impact is is most likely to be felt over the longer term. So let me ask, what should businesses be doing now to redirect their supply chains, find new vendors for Yeah, supplies? no, I, I, think, uh, I think all that winds up being yeah, incredibly difficult with respect to it. The real issues with respect to the uh, impact on the valley has to do with the way in which uh, families get dealt with and workers get dealt with as they uh, potentially wind up being sick. I think it's very important that Congress is trying to get through the paid sick leave provision. However, that winds up getting paid for and it you know, may very well be appropriate that it gets paid for in the short term by the federal government. But it's those particular types of things where you're providing people with the incentives to do the right thing around the social uh, distancing uh, that's required that seems to me to be the most important thing to focus on. That, uh, I think, is the critical issue. There are many families, uh, you know, we have like, I think something like 40% of our families are, you know, living on an average wage of $15 an hour, and those families have tremendous difficulty when somebody in the family cannot get sick and really has to think twice about whether they go ahead and go into work. And we really don't want them having to make those kinds of decisions that are both bad for them in the longer term, working while sick, and bad for the rest of us. I think those are the critical issues to be addressed. Anything else that you think is maybe not being addressed or or covered or we haven't thought of? Well, no, I I think uh, there are uh, several types of things, but I do think that at the individual level, the uh, understanding of uh, trying to make sure that people are not disincentivized from doing the right thing is the most important thing for all the local business owners to consider.
Richard Stock is an economist and the director of the Business Research Group at the University of Dayton. I'm Jerry Kenny. Some Northeast Ohio musicians feel caught between safety and earning a living during the coronavirus pandemic. From member station WCPN, David C. Barnett reports that performers are trying to cope with some fast-breaking information. It's been a tough week for violinist Ariel Clayton Karras. I'm getting emails in my inbox that performances are canceled preliminarily or things are indefinitely postponed. I'm on track to lose 50% of my performance income this month. As a solo musician and as a member of groups like Classical Revolution Cleveland and Opus 216, Karras plays over 200 gigs a year, ranging from the Cleveland Clinic Cancer Center to the Happy Dog Saloon, plus a number of dates featuring Irish fiddle music. St. Patrick's Day is always a big moneymaker for her, and she hopes the cancellation of this year's parade doesn't have a ripple effect on her bar gigs. But she's got a backup plan. I decided that every single day of this whole chaotic thing, I'm going to be (laughs) posting a one-minute video of an improvisation of how I'm feeling in that moment, and I'm calling it my pandemic playlist. If nothing else, the playlist will keep Karis's name and talent in circulation while the family relies on her husband's job as a historic renovation contractor to balance the budget. Kyle Kidd's band, Mourning a Black Star, was set to play the Cleveland campaign rally for Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders Tuesday night. But then things changed. They literally came up to us as we were about to walk on stage for sound check and said, the governor has requested that all public events be canceled for the evening. We're waiting for further updates. About 10 minutes later, they were like, yeah, we're not going to do it. They had agreed to do the rally for free, so it wasn't like they were losing a paying gig. But the band members did take time off from their day jobs to prepare for the appearance. Then an hour later came word that their upcoming gig at the University of Dayton had been canceled. And that was just the beginning. Individually, all of us are um, independent freelance musicians or artists in some capacity, and um, we've all lost gigs within a matter of hours. So it looks like work will be scarce locally, and upcoming tour plans, it's all up in the air. (laughs) This is unbelievable. Kevin Richards had seven cancellations over the course of 24 hours a couple days ago. He runs the Eastside nonprofit Roots of American Music, which hires local performers to play Roots music in venues across the region, from classrooms to senior centers. They even had a gig booked for the Cleveland International Film Festival, which was canceled Wednesday. The 24-hour loss was about $1,200. If this lasts a week, it, we, it certainly won't be the end of the world. But if this goes on for weeks, uh, and we continue, certainly it's going to hurt us from a revenue standpoint. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. Just... Uh, But words fail at a time like this. Richards grabs a battered, Depression-era steel guitar and starts making up a blues, partly in jest and partly as a way to work through his feelings at the end of an unsettling day. Corona be gone. Ariel Karras says she's trying to be responsible and follow the guidance of health officials banning large groups of people. But also recognizing that um, I have two kids I have to feed, and we have a car payment and, and health insurance and all of the things that we need. Um, we still have to meet those obligations. I'm, I'm trying, it's a very difficult balance to know what to do. But if necessary, she says she'll play every restaurant that'll have her until this crisis blows over. And Kyle Kidd says 
Uncertainty and adversity are part of the bargain when someone chooses to be a professional musician. This isn't the first time we've gone through something crazy. Hey, I'm just going to keep doing what I do and finding a way. That's what artists do. Make a way out of no way. For Ohio Public Radio, I'm David C. Barnett in Cleveland. And this week on the Best of Dayton Youth Radio, we revisit a story from Jack Long about finding his father. Jack produced this story in 2018 when he was a senior at Bellbrook High School. Can you tell me some stories about my mom? I know she was kind of scared when she found she was pregnant with you, but she was excited because she always loved little kids, especially little boys. (laughs) And she was real excited to name me a Jack. I'm not sure exactly why, but an admiral. (laughs) I don't know whether she just was a good mom. It's like you guys were the most important to her. Everything she did was for you guys. All high school seniors go through this discovery period. We're about to leave the home that we grew up in and the people that surrounded us for 18 years. So we instinctively reflect back on our family and our parents. We want to know those crazy stories. We want to know those details that make our parents unique. You might find out that your dad played in a band called the Stubby Butts and the Four Dweebs, or that your mom posed nude for extra money in college. I'm just trying to figure out who my father is. I've wondered what he looks like, what he sounds like. Does he have another family? Is he blonde like me? Does he know my mom's dead? I want to know my father because I'm curious. I want to know, does he like the same music? Does his family have a history of heart disease or high blood pressure? Learning about him can help me learn more about my mom. I think of my mom almost every day. Her name is Melinda, and we all call her Mindy. There's a picture that hangs on my wall of a white hibiscus, and I always liked this photo my mom took. If you catch in the right lighting, it looks like a man wearing headphones. She was an avid photographer. We only have a few pictures of her, and the couple that we do have of her, she has a camera slung around her neck. She was always the one behind the camera. My memories of my mom are infused with stories from my grandma, who adopted me after my mom died. What is your favorite memory of her? One time when we were on vacation, Mindy liked to talk a lot, and so on the way home she just kept talking and talking, and Papu said, I'll give you $10 if you're quiet for 10 minutes. She was trying so hard, and then she just started talking. She's like, I don't think about my father a lot. I don't really know enough about him to think about him. How he exists now is a crude caricature. So I needed to find him in concrete terms. I need to talk to him. I got his phone number from my uncle. Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. What can you tell me about my biological dad? He was tall. He played baseball. He was awful. Like, he wouldn't bring diapers, he wouldn't bring clothes, and he wouldn't pay child support, and then she'd have to, you know, call the court, and they'd have to give him so many days, and he'd have to be so far in arrears, and then he'd pay a little bit. So, I don't know, I guess I just hold that against him. I want to forgive my father. He's been gone for nearly all the years I've been alive, but there's this need of wanting to learn more about him. My grandma doesn't want me to see him. My grandma has not forgiven my father for what he did to my mom and me. Would you ever think about forgiving him or think about moving on? So why are you asking that? Because I want to know why you haven't forgiven him. Because he hurt my child and my grandchild and lied to me a lot and lied to your mom a lot. And he's been married a couple times and has kids with a couple different women. And I just feel like 
there's things that he did, like he said, like after your mom died, well, that he wanted to meet you again and, and he wanted you to come live with him. And so when I wanted to meet with him and his wife, he wouldn't do it because his wife didn't know. And so, like, he was just lying. I think I want to talk to him. I don't know. What would you ask him? I wanted to know if he was blonde. He's blonde? <laughs> Maybe I sort of feel jealous because I've had you this whole time and he's not been involved. And I don't know. Do you feel like you've missed that your whole life, though? No, because I've had other people to fill that. You know what I mean? Like Uncle Jim and Uncle Joe, they're good, yeah. and they? Uncle Bob. And John. And John. So everybody loves you, and they try to be there for you. But I think they are there for you. Do you think? Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Kevin Moore is not available. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, this is Jack. For Dayton Youth Radio at Belbrook High School, I'm Jack Long. That was Finding Dimes. Written and produced by Jack Long, a member of the class of 2018 at Bellbrook High School. Special thanks to Jack's grandma, Bridget Long, and also Katie Bills Tenney. For Dayton Youth Radio, this is Basine Blunt. That story originally aired in 2018. Jack Long is currently a journalism major at The Ohio State University in Columbus and interns for WISO's Dayton Youth Radio Summer Camp. Dayton Youth Radio is created at the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices at WISO. This is WISO Weekend. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us. When a veteran leaves the service and settles in at a college campus, they can miss being with other men and women who have shared their experiences. The Veteran and Military Center, or VMC, at Wright State University provides a supportive space for the military on campus. Today on Veterans Voices, Navy veteran Akoni Hinojosa and Army veteran Anthony Highland, both of Dayton, remember their time as Wright State students and how their activism led to the formation of the VMC. I just got out of the military in, what was it, June of that year in 2012. Um, so I went to Wright State, trying to find fellow vets because I had nobody here in Dayton, Ohio. So just decided to kind of go out and see what type of groups were on campus. Short story, short version. I come to Wright State as a veteran, a two tours. I figured there'd be somewhere where I could get involved and try to, you know, keep making a difference and doing everything. And I didn't find anything. 
Sorry, that's my son. Being He's being a two year old. I know. The two year old was being bad. He had to be escorted <laughs> out. He was disobeying direct orders. Sorry about that. Our our veterans center. Um, uh, the veterans education. Yeah, the veteran education office, which every university. Pretty much every state university, stuff like that, has one of these in some way, shape, or form. Right. So ours was about 10 by 15. It had a couch and a desk in it, right? Right. And yeah. so um, we are like, we don't have a place to hang out. Like, where mm-hmm. can we hang out? Or we're not going to hang on the quad with a bunch of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it became a really big issue for a lot of vets. Mm-hmm. And so what we ended up doing was we formulated a – we kind of made up our minds that we wanted an actual center. And by center, we mean like we wanted like two couches and a TV. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, until That's they, we until they came back and it. said they'd actually do it. Right. So, yeah, actually, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, there were a lot of different people that that were involved in this. But I remember when they did come back and say, I didn't believe it. Well, I really didn't believe it when they said how much they were going to invest. Right. That's what blew me away. But that's when the, that's when we actually started to really understand how much the student population actually supported vets. Yes, um, because we had a we had over what two, over two thousand over three thousand signatures. Mm-hmm. Um, like Wright State at that point, in time, and even still, honestly, um, I love that place. I still to this day am impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're in the service, you have your fellow soldiers, sailors, airmen, uh, Marines. They're your, they're your network. They're your group. Um, whether they drive you crazy or you love them, you're, you're, you always have a support group around you, unless you're in really terrible units, in which case that sucks. But when you transition into this new role as a student and you lose your way here and there, um, places like the VMC – have done a really great job building this support structure for that demographic of student. That was Army veteran Anthony Highland and Navy veteran Akoni Hinojosa. The conversation took place at WISO as part of the StoryCorps Military Voices Initiative, which visited the Miami Valley last summer. Veterans Voices on WISO is presented by Wright Pack Credit Union with additional support from CareSource. That story was edited by Will Davis. You're listening to Wiseau Weekend on 91.3 WISO. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us. For the last year or so, our next guest has been trying to preserve the audio collections of radio stations at historically black colleges and universities. Jocelyn Robinson, welcome to the program and tell us where your passion for this project comes from came from a couple different places. Um, one is I spent eight years as the Title III director at a historically black college and university at Central State University and uh, just developed a very deep and abiding love for the institutions and the work that they do and have done uh, over the years. The other piece of it comes from my work with WISO's archives and the work I got to do through Rediscovered Radio, which was a series that was produced here at WISO. Um, after I took the Community Voices course. And the voices in the WISO archives were so inspiring to me, many of them from the civil rights era, that I thought um, what voices might be heard from HBCU radio stations if a little 
uh, college radio station in the Midwest would have such uh, incredible voices like Dr. Martin Luther King and Ralph David Abernathy and and so many others. So I had been thinking about the project for some years. And um, in the course of doing Rediscovered Radio, I quit my day job as the director of the Title III program at Central State. And I enrolled in the public history program with uh, a concentration in archives and records management at Wright State University. And that opened my horizons to radio preservation being done all over the country. And I became involved in the Radio Preservation Task Force, which is a project of the Recorded Sound Preservation Board at the Library of Congress. And uh, the colleagues that I met through that organization and, and, and through that work encouraged me. And I presented about my ideas for a project uh, at several conferences and ultimately was able to find funding to get it started. So let's talk a little bit about the WISO archives. You did a podcast recently where the term benign neglect was used to describe the materials in WISO's archives. Can you relate a little bit of that story? Sure. I think what one has to realize is that when formats change, uh, as they have since the days when we used magnetic tape in uh, radio stations in, in, in broadcasting, to the present where we use digital materials, over time, those obsolete materials often are discarded. Most stations uh, don't have the space or the wherewithal for preservation for these materials, so they um, end up in a dumpster oftentimes. In WYSO's case, the radio station moved from one building on campus, the, the student union, to another. And when that move took place, the tapes that were in the radio station's tape library were pulled off the shelves, tossed into bags and boxes, and hauled over to another building where they were put into a storage room, and there they remained for nearly 25 years. They were in storage, but uh, the potential for damage was still present through that whole time. Oh, absolutely. Um, magnetic media is very um, susceptible to degradation over time, and certainly the storage uh, room that they were in had issues with moisture and humidity and heat, and uh, I think I, I do think they were actually in a place where there was UV light. Um, those are the big three when it comes to preservation is heat, humidity, and, and, and light. So that can destroy anything over a given period of time. And then fast forward to about a decade ago when WISO former general manager, Nina Ellis, who is now the president of Miami Valley Public Media, decided to uh, at least digitize the content or materials in that archive uh, dealing with civil rights, correct? Well, what happened was shortly after Nina got here, she received a request for a proposal from a project called the American Archive of Public Broadcasting. And this project was looking for materials from the civil rights era. And though people were aware that those materials existed, um, they weren't really on anybody's radar to speak of until that time. Nina knew that they were there, and she wrote a, a, a grant to the APB, and you know the rest is kind of history. Um, that was the catalyst for uh, digitizing almost 300 hours of uh, WISO's archival collection. And out of those 300 hours, uh, we have made 
lots of content through Rediscovered Radio. That's where the name came from because the materials were rediscovered. But yeah, I, I would say benign neglect has a whole lot to do with the fact that WYSO has a collection. Also, what I have been finding is that it's not really typical for small radio stations to have such an extensive tape collection. We have thousands of tapes that are not yet digitized but are stable and in an, uh, a climate-controlled, low-humidity, low-temperature, low-light environment so the magnetic material is stable. You've been with this project for maybe about a, a year and doing a lot of traveling. What are you finding at other colleges in the state of their archives, if they have them at all? Well, if they have them at all, that's been part of the issue uh, that I have found, is that many of them don't have archives of any sort. And they don't even have, the radio stations don't even necessarily have relationships with their institutional archives, which are usually housed in the libraries of, of colleges um, all over the country. The radio stations at HBCUs are like HBCUs themselves. They're all different. So some are large, some are small, some are urban, some are rural, some are private, some are public. Um, it, it really runs the gamut. And, you know, depending on the size of the institution and the resources that it has, the, the, there may or may not be uh, any kind of collections whatsoever. For instance, I was at uh, Howard University recently, and they don't really have a formal collection, although Howard has a very uh, – Howard University itself has a very extensive um, archival collection. So it really just depends. Um, but for the most part, I haven't been finding uh, uh, formal archives at, at any of the radio stations. As we mentioned, you've been doing a lot of traveling over the last year for this project. How is it being received by the colleges and universities you're visiting that uh, that may be directly impacted by this project and others that you've met along the way? Well, as part of the grant, I have been conducting site visits at a number of the institutions, and that has been really interesting and a lot of fun. I have been to Clark Atlanta in um, Georgia and Savannah State, South Carolina State, Virginia State, North Carolina A&T, Fisk University, um, Hampton University. Uh, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure to visit the, the HBCUs and see the, you know, on the ground what they are dealing with in terms of their um, uh, radio stations and in a lot of cases, I've been able to help forge a relationship between the institutional archives on the campus and the radio station so that there's a dialogue just beginning to happen between the two divi divisions on the campus. And uh, that's been pretty wonderful. So what is next for this project? You mentioned the the phase you're in, which is identifying possible materials at, at these colleges and universities. Where does the project go following this stage? Well, I'm coming to the end of the funding from the National Recording Preservation Foundation, and the report that I'm writing is really going to make some recommendations about where it could go next, and then I'll be in a research phase looking for additional funding. But I think it's very promising. A number of um, institutions and organizations have stepped forward with great interest in the project, 
And it's very possible that new funding is on the horizon. And once that happens, we'll be taking it to the next phase, which is trying to get 100% participation. There are 29 existing radio stations right now. I'm aware of three that no longer have their licenses and no longer broadcast. So uh, knowing where what their status is and what status of any materials they might have is right now, we can build on that information to go forward and to training and providing resources and services to the stations and their institutional archives so that preservation can begin to take place. And there is another project. Can we talk about that before our time ends? Tell us what's coming up. Well, as a producer, I've been really interested in community-based storytelling and uh, over a period of time have worked on several projects um, that, that have been um, telling the stories of, of folks in, from their own vantage point in their own communities. And we are just launching West Dayton Stories, which is an opportunity for uh, members of the community to become trained as digital storytellers and to begin to produce stories and um, do interviews and really take the project to places that the community really needs um, in in terms of amplifying voices and and showcasing the voices of of Dayton's West Side. So you're in the initial stages on this project as well. Right, right. We're we're, uh, training a cadre of community producers who this summer will be out in in the community telling its stories. So another great series from the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices at WYSO. Jocelyn Robinson, thanks so much for your time and good luck with your continuing efforts to preserve and make great radio. Thanks so much, Jerry. That's it for this edition of Why So Weekend on 91.3 WYSO, building a more informed community with independent news and storytelling. I'm Jerry Kenny. We're back next weekend. Join us then. Now on Why So, it's Vic McCunis with The Book Nook.